Want a job where you can use your talents, make a difference, and have the freedom of remote work? Then meet Belay. Belay has contractor opportunities for proven professionals, providing administrative support and social media strategy to fast-paced organizations throughout the United States, all from your home. To learn more, just visit belaysolutions.com slash jobs to apply. That's B-E-L-A-Y solutions.com slash jobs. I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast. And with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories. I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name. Scam was masterfully designed. New episodes available now. Subscribe to The Perfect Scam Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, gals. Welcome back to Working Gals Guide. Today's episode is with a machine learning engineer. We learn all about the career path, how she got there, as well as about studying data science. She also talks about how she actually was born in India, studied there for a bit, but then eventually moved to New York, finished her studying there, and then moved to Canada for some additional studying and then work and stayed in Canada ever since. So we're going to go through all of that. Thanks for tuning in. If you do enjoy, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Also follow us on Instagram at Working Gals Guide. Hey everyone, welcome back gals. I am so excited for today's episode. We have an amazing guest here today and really this guest is someone I think you're going to find extremely intelligent, very well-spoken, who has a very rich history in terms of a professional and educational career. And to be honest, someone who doesn't really share too much of a similar story to anyone I've had on before. So with that being said, I am so excited for today's episode. So thank you, Tarini, so much for being here. Do you mind just introducing yourself really quickly before we actually hop into a lot of your professional career and educational background? Thank you. Thank you, Simran, for inviting me. I am so excited to be on your show. So hi, everyone. Uh, I am Tarini Patnagar. Um, I was born and brought up in Delhi, India, and I moved to Canada almost three years ago. I'm currently living in Vancouver, and I graduated from University of British Columbia's Masters of Data Science program in 2018. Uh, now I'm working as a machine learning engineer at Realtor.com, which is a real estate listing website. Uh, I've been working there for the past two years. But before that, I was actually in the field of earth sciences, where I worked as a research assistant for four years, and I used to study marine earthquakes. Wow, that is so interesting. And I know we're going to get into everything, absolutely everything to do with your past work experience. But first of all, I just want to say congratulations on all the amazing things you've done in your career, because from research to I know we're going to get into this, but you studied in New York, which is amazing. You were able to move to Vancouver, be at UBC. And for anyone who doesn't know, University of British Columbia, or UBC as we usually call it, is a fantastic, very, very well-known school in our area. It's also extremely hard to get into, and the program that you were in was also very hard to get into, I know, just because I have friends who are in it. So congratulations on getting into there, and obviously now you have a great job at realtor.com as a machine learning engineer. So 
Yeah. In terms of what a machine learning engineer is, do you mind just breaking down what that actually is and maybe what your day-to-day is as well? Sure. First of all, thank you so much for your kind words. I agree. Like I've had sort of a unique journey for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in terms of machine learning engineer, um, let me just start from the basics. So like data is everywhere these days. Like we are collecting tremendous amount of data these days. And this data is being continuously generated and it is being collected across all domains. So all this data has a lot of potential to reveal insights, almost about everything and, you know, all aspects of our lives. So machine learning basically is is sort of a technique which uses artificial intelligence to enable machines to learn a task from experience rather than us you know programming them specifically about this task so basically what machines are doing is that they're learning from experience you know uh, other than you know without human hand holding so machines are basically using this massive amount of data to make predictions so just for an example like you know most of us use netflix and amazon these days so what they do is like these machines are basically learning from our past history of you know watching movies or you know buying different uh, stuff on amazon and then they you know go on and make us recommendation as to what to buy next or, you know, which is the next movie that you should be watching. So the, all of this is, you know, being powered by machine learning and machine learning as, uh, as a field, you know, lies at the intersection of engineering, computer science and business. Wow. I love that. I mean, it seems like you must have gone through a lot of studying to be able to really be a machine learning engineer. Cause like you said, it really is at the intersection um, of business computer science and really engineering as well, which is a lot of different disciplines that really require a lot of studying in their own realms, let alone together and really putting it all together. Um, but I love the example about Amazon or Netflix, because I think we all kind of are used to that as a real world everyday example. It totally makes sense. And you know, that's why I get recommendations for a bunch of rom-coms all the time on Netflix because it's all I watch. Um, uh, But with that being said too, uh, with your day-to-day, so what are you actually doing at Realtor.com and how are you really leveraging, um, I guess, what you've learned at school to kind of channel that into your day-to-day? So my day-to-day life at Realtor.com is like, the days are pretty similar to each other. So how it actually starts it's like I just go in to work and you know just check my emails reply to my emails which for the past four months is basically just moving from my bedroom to my living room since we have been working from home for such a long time now Uh, I I got the same thing going on I actually have my desk in my room so it's from the bed to my desk there is no movement Yes, yes, exactly. That's how it's going. And I don't think that's going to end anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I start by, you know, just checking my emails and, you know, checking if the traffic is okay. And if there are like no major issues with our APIs um, as well. So after that, the most important part of our day, I would say is the daily standup. Uh, which we have quite early in the morning. Uh, So basically what that means is like we get together as a team and uh, each one of us goes through, you know, what's the sort of work that we did the previous day and what sort of work are we planning for today? And if there are any issues or blockers with, you know, other people can help us out with. So I think this is a really important part of your day uh, just to, you know, be able to move forward with your uh, task for the rest of the day. Uh, So at realtor.com, we also follow an agile system, which is basically an iterative software development cycle. And what that basically means is that we have a cycle of two weeks and we kind of pre-plan what the team is going to achieve 
achieve uh, in the next two weeks. And we break down all the tasks into a number of tickets and we assign those tickets to specific individuals based on, you know, what's the sort of work that is uh, required to be done and what sort of resources uh, and time uh, the ticket needs. So after my daily standard, basically, I pick up any ticket that is assigned to me and I start working on that for the rest of the day. But other than that, uh, every now and often, we also have these brainstorm sessions within our team. And basically what we do is we just get together and we try to conceptualize ideas. And we just try to uh, think about, you know, what's the sort of new data that we have and how can we leverage that uh, in new ways. And specifically, my team works on, you know, improving uh, the buyer's experience. So just to think about how we can use uh, the data to make for a more enriching experience for our buyers on our website. So keeping that goal in mind, we try to, you know, sort of come up with new ideas. And also during throughout the day, like we also end up talking to different teams because teams are dependent on each other. So, you know, based on deadlines and requirements, we sort of constantly keep in touch with the other teams as well. And I would also add that one all, one uh, other aspect of my job is also, you know, mentoring interns and uh, co-ops uh, students. So these are basically uh, undergrad students who come to Realtor.com for a period of eight months. And uh, like they work on different projects just to give them much more exposure into the industry. So we end up like, you know, answering their questions and coaching them throughout the day as well. So that's like sort of my day-to-day -day activities at realtor.com. Wow, that seems like a very full day. I'll put it that way. It, it's great though. No, it's good. It's good for sure. And um, I kind of want to touch on the fact that uh, you talk about leveraging the different data that you're collecting to really better the experience of the end user on realtor.com. So in your opinion, um, and it might be biased just because of your, your background in studying, but in your opinion, what speaks louder, the data itself or what the actual client or user has to say if you were to speak to them and ask them what they're looking for and what they want? Um, well, as you said, I'm a bit biased <laughs> by, in my mind. I think it's the data that speaks louder, mm -hmm. uh, but also it's biased because of the fact that uh, at realtor.com, we have like millions of consumers. So we have around like around 70 million unique users on our website each month. So you can just imagine the, you know, tremendous number of people visiting our website so it's not really possible to actually get in touch with them and to know you know what their preferences are so basically in lieu of that we use their data and by that I mean uh, you know we have all their data as to you know what are the previous listings that they have listed you know what are the different price ranges that they're comfortable with what type of houses are they interested in so we kind of get all of this information from their uh, you know browsing history on our website and we use all of this data in different ways to come up with different products as to just to make their experience much more personalized. So as I gave the example of Netflix before, you, you can actually see how personalized their service is, right? Like mm -hmm. their recommendations is based on your uh, like personal browsing history, not, you know, what the popular movie these days it's more like you know what do you like what sort of movie do you like so we are kind of trying to achieve the sim achieve a similar experience we want to personalize their experience based on you know what kind of homes do you like what's the sort of money that you want to spend uh, for your next home so definitely data is something that speaks much more louder to us at realtor.com Mm -hmm. Definitely makes sense. And so if someone's listening right now and they're thinking, wow, that day-to-day -day sounds awesome. I'm really interested in the topic of just in general machine learning, for example, this maybe is a career path I'd be interested in pursuing. 
So for you, what advice or I guess what insight can you give on the type of skills that someone would need um, to kind of go into this field? What kind of people really thrive as a machine learning engineer? Um, I would say as a data scientist or a machine learning engineer, there are like at least I think four to five different skills that everyone kind of looks for when you're trying to, you know, apply for this sort of job uh, in this field. So I would say like a person who kind of enjoys uh, coding and programming languages, that's something that is really, really important in this field. So definitely that's one of the advice that I would give to them. Like if you want to get into this field, you have to know some sort of programming language, like it could be Python or R or something similar, but you really have to know that because all this data that we have, we actually have to kind of, you know, clean the data and code the data and put it into models. So you need to know some kind of programming language as well. Uh, other than that, I would say that somebody who is strong in statistics and maths uh, will also be a good uh, candidate uh, for a job in this field. Uh, the reason I'm saying that is because, you know, you need these kind of background information to kind of understand, you know, what are the kind of tests that you want to run and how do you actually interpret their results. So you really, really need to know your statistics well for this uh, kind of, you know, capability. And also you need to understand, you know, if you're using some kind of modeling technique, what are the actual assumptions or capabilities or the limitations behind these models? So because all of these are going to help you to make a better decision as to, you know, what are you actually going to do with this data? Uh, another skill that I feel is important is more sort of a creative skill. So because, you know, just imagine like uh, you have all these data science and machine learning methods, but you want to explain your results to people who are maybe not that technical. So you want to really leverage, you know, data, data visualization skills uh, in this case. So you need to know how to communicate your results. You need to know how to visualize your results so that other non-technical people can understand um, your results as well. So these three skills that I touched on was more sort of a, you know, on the technical mm -hmm. uh, part of the field. But other than that, I also feel like, you know, people who have, who, who are good um, in research capabilities, that those can be good candidates as well, because, you know, I find myself, you know, just researching different things, different models, different algorithms on Google all the time. Like I spend so much time doing that. So I feel that's a really important skill that, you know, you need to be able to, you know, read about it and understand, you know, if this is the right method for you to use or not. And um, another skill that I would also mention is that of like, you know, business sense and more of a critical thinking, because, you know, you don't have to actually go to the most difficult modeling techniques straight away. You have to know, you know, what's the easier way to address your problem? How can you create business value for your company without getting into more technicalities? The easier the solution, the better. So that's also, I think, one of the skills that uh, someone should process if they want to get into this field. Yeah, no, definitely makes sense. Definitely makes sense. And I think that, you know, it's almost like a new field, right? Like I feel like maybe 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't so popular to be yes. in machine learning or be a machine learning engineer, which is why I think it's so amazing that I'm having you on the podcast today, <laughs> because I think before, if you were strong at some of the things you're saying, like you're strong at statistics, you know how to code. Um, you maybe would have thought 10, 15 years ago, the best role for me is to go into a programming role or, you know, study computer science and be a programmer after that kind of thing. But 
now there really is this new world of machine learning that I think is really opened up and a lot of big companies do have machine learning engineers or someone that is coming from a data science background to work at those organizations as well. And I'm talking, by the way, everywhere from, like you said, Realtor.com to Lululemon, which is a massive company, obviously, to Aritzia. And I know know a lot of people love Aritzia as well. But even like your Arterix, your MECs, all these big companies have people doing this type of role for them. And I think it's one of those things where it's like we sometimes look at a company, um, for example, let's use Nordstrom. And you're thinking, if I'm not in fashion, if I'm not you know, someone who wants to be in marketing or advertising, for example, there's no way I can work at Nordstrom. But the answer is you can, and you really can do a lot of things, whether it's being a programmer or being, you know, in machine learning, data science at these big companies that you may dream of working at, they're really doing this new role. So I think, like you said, all those different skills that really go into being someone who would really thrive in this role Amazing. Thank you for outlining that. Um, I guess last question too about it. So for you personally, what is the most rewarding part of being a machine learning engineer and what really gets you out of bed every morning um, and walking down to your computer on the next floor (laughs) right now anyways, Um, but really what gets you out of bed and what really makes you excited about doing the job that you're doing? I completely agree with you. Actually, the point that you just touched before. Mm -hmm. uh, So data science has been like pretty vague in the past. Like I would say it's still not so well defined. It is definitely better now in terms of, you know, how do we define data science, but it's still pretty vague. So I completely agree with your point. Like this is something that, you know, you don't have to be, you know, kind of, you know, um, be restricted to just, you know, one sort of company. You can work for different industries like all of the industries need data scientists and machine learning engineers these days. So it is definitely something that you can apply to different fields. So in terms of the more uh, most rewarding parts of my job, I would say is the business impact that we see. So, you know, as I said, I was in the research field before and, you know, there it's like you do experiments and, you know, you are more into the academic side of things. So it takes time to actually see a difference. But this is what I love in the industry, especially in the data science world that, you know, you have a problem, you solve it, you, you know, put your solution into production and then you're actually able to see the direct impact on your consumers not right away maybe in a month or two but just you know in some in a short amount of time you're able to see the impact uh, in the business that you are making that your work is making so that's something that I really really enjoy about this job and that just makes me so excited about this uh, other than that I would say again as I said before that I have the freedom to work for any industry like be it mining finance, insurance, real estate, or anything, anything under the sun, you can apply, you know, data science to it. So like I come from an earth science background and I can already think of so many different ways where I can actually use my skills as a data scientist or machine learning engineer to use in the field of earth sciences. So I just feel really nice about the fact that I am not restricted to just one industry and I can go about and, you know, work in other industries in the future as well. Uh, Apart from that, uh, I also feel that uh, being a machine learning engineer uh, at my company, like I am not restricted to one team. I get to wear many different hats and I get to talk to many different people, many other teams as well, which I really enjoy. And as a part of my entire um, 
kind of solving the problem. Uh, it's like, you know, you have to talk to different vendors, you have to evaluate their data, and you have to, you know, negotiate contracts with them, and you have to do some, you know, conceptualization of ideas as well. So there's some product uh, work there as well. So it's like, you know, basically, I am a machine learning engineer, but I do end up wearing lots of different hats at work. So again, I really enjoy that aspect uh, of my work as well. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that's kind of the exciting thing that people don't realize if maybe you're still in university is that really any job you go into, there's an opportunity to wear a lot of hats, like you're mentioning, whether you are in machine learning, even the role I'm in, which is, um, you know, customer success, technical onboarding, I'm at a software company, I get to wear a lot of hats, which is super interesting to me. And it keeps it interesting every day, very exciting all the time. And it also challenges you because you do have to really switch up the skills that you're leveraging at any given yeah. time to be able to really, you know, again, wear all these different hats and really thrive in all the different areas that you're trying to do at this organization. Um, it's also great for personal growth. You're learning a lot about yourself and you're learning new skills as well. So, um, you know, I love the fact that even in the role that you're doing, you get to wear a lot of hats and uh, I guess uh, the one part too that's super interesting to me that you referred to a couple minutes ago was that you also help some of the incoming interns and co-op students, which is super cool. Um, you know, that's super rewarding, I'm sure, because you get to kind of help them out, teach them the ropes and really give them a glance into what the world is if they were to pursue this full time afterwards. So that must be super exciting as well. Yeah. Like you actually, you know, you kind of remember your own days when you used to be, mm-hmm. you know, on the other side of the table. So it's always really nice to help students. And you know that, you know, they are trying to figure out, you know, what's the next career decision that they want to make. So it's always a rewarding opportunity to be able to help them in that journey. Yeah, of course. No, I totally agree. I mean, I totally understand that too, because there there is times that I definitely like look back at my internships and kind of remember like the people that helped me and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I just want to help everyone else I can. So my company doesn't hire interns, but we definitely, of course, have new people coming in, you know, every so often. So I always kind of try to help out the best I can because I kind of remember my feelings when I was an intern. And, you know, you just want to kind of acquaint yourself to the organization. You want to feel welcomed. So, you know, it's always exciting to, to meet new people and uh, help them out. Yeah, so I do, I do want to touch on, I guess, your background before you actually went into data science at UBC, because I think it's extremely interesting that you almost did a very big pivot from, like you said, earth science and geology um, to actually going into data science. So you did study geology, is that correct, back yeah. in uh, India before you moved to the US? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, and what was really the reason that you decided to pick geology to study? So, you know, actually, this might sound very cliched, but what happened was when I was in school, I used to watch a lot of National Geographic and Discovery Channel at home. Mm-hmm. And I just loved science. And I just learning, uh, I mean, I just loved learning more about volcanoes and earthquakes and natural hazards. So actually, that's sort of a sort of the thing that kind of, you know, uh, generated my interest in the field of geology. And uh, what ended up happening was like, when I was in 
my last year of my school, uh, my mother came to Hawaii for a teacher exchange program. So I got an opportunity to visit her and we actually went to Hawaii's Volcano uh, National Park. And that, I, that trip kind of sealed the deal for me. I was already interested in geology and I just decided this is something that I want to pursue as my career. Uh, but the thing was at that point of time in India, medic, like medicine and engineering were kind of the more popular professions and they were the more preferred professions at that point of time. So my parents were not convinced that uh, for me to take geology in school, but somehow with time they came to terms with it and I decided to uh, pursue geology. So um, I did my undergrad at University of Delhi in India where I got my uh, honors degree in geology. And at that point of time, I actually wanted to become a volcanologist. I literally imagined myself going to an active volcano and you know, collecting lava samples over there. So that's how my journey started. And after my undergrad, I actually moved to New York City for my PhD program at Columbia University. Wow. I didn't even know a volcanoist is, was a job, but that's awesome. I mean, that's so cool. Um, I've been to Hawaii before and I loved it. It was so beautiful there. I went to Maui. Was that the island you were on or were you on a different uh, island? Uh, I, I was on Big Island. Okay. Uh, yeah. Think, yeah. I think awesome. that's where the park is. Yeah. Have you um, been back since? I'm curious. No, I haven't. Like it's been many, many years. Although like I've been in North America for like past the, for the past eight years, but somehow I never got the opportunity to go back to Hawaii. Yeah, you have to. I mean, obviously we're in a pandemic right now, but once <laughs> it's over, you have to go back because I mean, I want to go back personally. Hawaii is so lovely, but it would almost be full circle, right? If you got to go back and, you know, all these years later and just kind of uh, check out everything again. And maybe even though you're not doing, uh, you know, practicing research or, you know, going to a volcano is for your day-to-day work. It'd be awesome to go back and see it. So that's awesome. I, I think I'm going to do it because, you know, actually I'm on the West Coast now. So it's not even that far. It's just mm-hmm. like a six-hour flight from Vancouver. Yes. So I think I'm definitely going to do that. <laughs> definitely. You should. You should. Um, but yeah, so you studied geology, which is great. Um, so after you graduated, though, I know you went on to pursue your PhD and you moved to New York to study, which is great. So what really made you want to pursue your PhD in New York versus maybe staying in India to do so? Uh, So like after my undergrad in geology, I was thinking like, what's the next step I should take? And as I mentioned before, in India, geology was not such a popular career path at that at that point of time and to be honest like people kind of confused it with zoology like I would say geology and they were like what is it zoology so that was kind of the state of geology in India at that point of time Uh, so like in terms of research and employment opportunities there were not that many in India so that's why I wanted to do something um, outside you know and U.S. was like sort of the best place to study earth sciences at that point of time and other than that I also wanted to get out of my comfort zone and you know gain experience in a new country I just wanted a new cultural experience so at that point of time I just thought you know I'm interested in research so I applied to a bunch of different PhD programs and I ended up getting uh, in Columbia University so that's how I moved to my PhD Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so lovely. And had you ever been to New York before? Or was that a very new place for you once you moved? 
it was a very new place. I had not been to uh, New York before that uh, at all. So it was a pretty hard transition for me because this was the first time I was actually moving out of my home and living away from my family. And it was not like, you know, you're just moving to another state. It was just, you're moving to a different country, to a different continent that is mm -hmm. thousands of miles away. And even like, uh, it was sort of a 14 hour flight away. So it was really, really far. So, and it was a very difficult experience for me. I was definitely homesick in the beginning and it took me time to adjust there. And also the fact that uh, it was a new university life for me. So the education system was completely different from what I was used to in India. So even in the ways, you know, the way they conducted classes or assignments or exams, everything was really different from what I was used to. So that was uh, really hard for me, but it took me some time, but I got used to it. And also the fact that, you know, I, rem I still remember when I moved there, I actually had to move twice uh, within the first four months of me moving to New York, uh, which was which pretty stressful at that point of time. But I think it really made me much more independent and, you know, confident to talking to new people. So I think these were like some sort of small experiences, but they had a big impact on me as to they just made me much more confident in terms of, you know, different uh, dealing with different people. But also, I would like to say that, you know, yes, I had some different experiences but New York was such a big city uh, you know similar to New Delhi and it is so multicultural so I had people from so many different backgrounds so it was much easier to talk to people uh, as well because I had so many people from different countries with different traditions so there were things that made this experience easier as well. Yeah, definitely. No, it's good to hear that you were able to really thrive in New York and at school, of course, and really have an amazing career after um, and really stay in the US and Canada after as well. But I mean, the challenges that you went through, if you don't mind getting into it a bit more, like, how did you really deal with, I guess, being so far from home? Because I, I know people, you know, of course, from time to time, they'll typically move a different state if they're born in the U.S. or they'll move a different province to province if they're from Canada, sometimes occasionally from the U.S. to Canada or Canada to the U.S. And, um, you know, most of the viewership that I have on this podcast, I know, is from either the U.S. or Canada. But, I mean, that challenge that must have been to move really halfway around the world or, you know, it's a very far away. You're not close to family whatsoever. How are you able to build community around you? Like, where did you find friends? Where did you find those individuals to connect to you once you actually came to New York? Uh, so actually, when I came to New York, um, I did have a few friends um, I knew beforehand in the city. So that just kind of took away some of the anxiety when I was actually taking the flight to New York, knowing that, you know, they would be there when I land. So it wasn't that bad at the first go, but definitely university life was really difficult for me just getting used to these systems over there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say the people at our university and our department, they used to host uh, like, you know, trivia nights and just, you know, meet and greet pretty often. So that those are the places where I ended up uh, making a lot of friends at my university. And we just made it a point to go out a lot just to, you know, get comfortable with each other 
for sure. And uh, what I also ended up doing was I tried to join uh, different graduate societies at Columbia University. I remember uh, specifically there was this Indian graduate society that I joined just because, you know, you have so many festivals that you're missing at home, but we ended up celebrating them with each other in New York City. So that also took away some of the, uh, you know, homesick feeling that I was having. And family-wise, I would say I made it a point to, you know, stay connected to my family. Like I used to talk to my family at least once a day just to you know just to kind of see yes they're still there and you know I do not feel that homesick so that was definitely something that helped although it was a bit difficult because it was almost a 12 hour time difference it was a different time zone so it was you know kind of a difficult challenge to keep up with that but somehow I managed to um, make it work and I think I made most of my friends at uh, my university and the trick is just to you know get out of your comfort zone because sometimes you start feeling oh you know it's much easier not to go out and just stay at home but the trick is to actually just get out of your comfort zone and try to meet people and talk to them and after a while it just makes things better because you have to remember those people are going through the same journey as you so it just makes it easier to you know uh, go through the journey together rather than alone. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I feel like it's always hard to make that first step and say, hey, I'm going to go up to that person or hey, I'm going to go to trivia night, you know, and try to meet people. But it's always like once you get there, you find that the people typically there are also the kind of people who are looking to kind of build friendships and build community around them too. So it's like you said, a lot of people are also going through a very similar thing, especially if you are going to school because a lot of people do travel away from their home or yes. home state to go to school. So a lot of people are in that mindset where they're looking to to kind of make friends and bond with others. So yeah, I, I love your tips around that. I think it's super useful. Well, thank you so much for coming today. It was so amazing hearing about all your experiences, everything from what you're doing today at realtor.com as a machine learning engineer to um, the different experiences you had um, in New York and moving from India to the States as well. And of course, hearing a bit about your sea life as well. So super interesting. I love everything you had to say. And again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure. This year has us all wanting to be healthier. And that includes our eye health. But how do you get vision coverage if you're retiring? It's actually pretty easy. VSP, the vision coverage many people get through work, offers individual vision plans. Enroll anytime, on any device, and start using your benefits the same day. You don't need to be an employee to get employee-level vision coverage. Visit vspdirect.com today. That's vspdirect.com. Home is where you should feel the safest, but the air there can be more dangerous, up to five times more polluted than outside air. Let us help you take the steps towards making it a healthier home with our Bryant Indoor Air Quality Solutions. We can help with everything from whole home air purifiers to indoor humidity control. To schedule an evaluation of your home's air, visit bryant.com to find a local dealer. Bryant, whatever it takes.